You are listening to the Corona Diaries, brought to you by Allegra. For more information, please visit allegralaboratory.net. Hi guys, this is Aditya from Bangalore, recording episode 3 of the Corona Diaries. So it's now been almost four weeks since the official lockdown. But uh, I've actually stopped keeping track. Um, Time is of no consequence. The only day that really matters is the day when this is all finally over. So the government had announced that April 15th would be the day when uh, the lockdown would end. But this has now been extended by two weeks. Anyway, I think people were prepared for that. We all were expecting that to happen, so we were mentally ready. Life has, strangely enough, returned to a sense of normalcy. If you consider the new normal being that uh, leaving the house can be a matter of life or death, or serious illness at least. But for many of the residents of Indian cities, their lives are a lot more calmer now compared to the early days of the lockdown when there was a lot of chaos, thanks partly to technology and uh, also because of the tireless work done by delivery agents who have risked their own life to make sure that people get their food and medicines, well, at least people who can afford to access these services and people who have access to a source of income. But uh, those people who don't have access to this technology and those people who don't have a source of income, the people who have been forgotten by India's Silicon Valley boom, the government has had to intervene to help them. So efforts have been mounted uh, around the country to support people. Things like, uh, you know, two months supply of rations have been provided. Pensions have been given to to retirees. And uh, just today, the city of Bangalore actually launched this uh, service on WhatsApp where people can basically message a number on WhatsApp And uh, then they can send a list of items that they need, whether it's groceries or medicines. And then uh, agents from the government will come and deliver it to your house. But uh, then again, you need to have money to pay for these goods. So if you don't have money to pay for the service, I don't know how useful it will be to you. In addition, the service is only useful if you live in southern Bangalore. Uh, seeing that Bangalore is such a massive city, I don't know how helpful it will be to those who live on the other side of the city. So today I feel feel a little bit sad. Not just because I think you know generally most people are sad now because we are in the middle of a pandemic, but I feel a little sadder than usual because. Uh, Today is supposed to be a really special day for me. So a creative project that I had been part of, that I had been part of for the past year and a half, um, was supposed to be launched on the 31st of March, 
So it's a really big deal because when a project is launched, it means the culmination of the hard work and efforts of a lot of people over years. So it's really, you know, it's really disheartening that uh, we didn't have a big launch with our cake and with our congratulatory embraces and our pats on the back. Instead, we had a launch at two in the morning with a WhatsApp message and the isolation of our homes. But um, I don't want to dwell on that too much because I think personal milestones seem insignificant in the face of a global crisis. I want to talk a little more about technology because that's something that clearly interests me in case you haven't realized. <laughs> so... In my first episode, I talked a little bit about how surveillance technology was being used by companies to monitor employees in the wake of coronavirus. But now I've been looking at the different ways in which technology has been employed by different countries around the world to deal with the epidemic. And China is one country that has... Uh, you know, been ahead in this regard. So when China rolled out its draconian technology measures like, you know, the social credit system or its AI-based facial recognition software. So when all of these technological um, tools were announced in China or rather launched, there was a lot of outrage around the world and people were really critical of China. But now that these tools have helped the government in dealing with this epidemic, or pandemic rather, um, people are beginning to soften their stance on these technologies. So initially people who were scared of these technologies and who thought they were dangerous are now starting to say, you know, well, you know, it's... It's scary, I agree, but these technologies can help in uh, in elevating our problems, like in cases of pandemics. And I agree with these these arguments to some extent. Technology has definitely helped um, us deal with these situations a lot better, but. Um, I fear that, uh, as Edward Snowden said, um, that uh, this pandemic is being used as an excuse by governments to build the architecture of oppression. So generally in the past, whenever governments have rolled out sort of severe measures in the face of a natural calamity or in the face of, uh, you know, a security threat, the you know the measures stay in place much longer after the emergency has ended. The emergency never ends. For example, if you look at the Patriot Act in America that was rolled out after 9-11, um, the Amer- American government used the Patriot Act as an excuse and used 9-11 as an excuse to impinge on the privacy on to impeach on the privacy of a lot of people across the world. 
And obviously, WikiLeaks and Edward Snowden's leaks made the world a lot more conscious about these things. And a lot of people were appalled at this. But now I fear that uh, we might be complacent again. And uh, I fear that a lot of, especially where the world is politically right now, many of the countries in the world are heading in an autocratic direction. Considering that this is the political situation of the world, I'm afraid that once the epidemic is over, the world is going to make an even further slide into authoritarianism. Because governments are going to use this epidemic as an excuse to roll out even more draconian measures. And they're going to say that, you know, prevention is better than cure and the only way to prevent these things from happening is to keep an eye on everyone all the time. But, uh, I mean, there's an, there's an idealist in me that also believes that we might go the other way. Because um, one thing that this epidemic is teaching us is that majority of the world's political systems have failed in dealing with this crisis. So no matter how much warning we've had, because we've always known that epidemics have been a part of the human story. Despite this, we have failed in dealing with it. So maybe this pandemic can be an opportunity, a reset button for people to think about what kind of world they want to live in after the pandemic is over and what kind of governments they want to have in power. So my time is coming to an end but uh, I'd like to end this by dedicating this episode to Dr. Bhimrao Ambedkar, the father of India's constitution and a fearless crusader against one of the world's most oppressive hierarchical systems. So tomorrow is Ambedkar Jayanti and uh, many of India's people will be paying tribute to him. And, uh, you know, his goals have not been achieved, but uh, there are people who continue to fight to this day to realize his vision of an India where caste is annihilated. <laughs>